0: hi alex (laughs) i can can you hear me
1: yes how you doing
0: i'm doing okay i got laid off from my job
1: you did
0: and my voice is a little hoarse so sorry to the listeners for that we're gonna talk (laughs) about horses today in our episode really for my story before we do
1: we Mm. should talk about how they discovered who the somerton man was
0: oh yeah yeah dude so they, they figured out what happened to the Summerton man. It was not the ballet dancer. No.
1: And it wasn't the it guy. It was not. It wasn't the guy that was having a affair with that woman. It, it's not anyone that we thought. <laughs> right. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It, it turns out that this dude was a 43-year-old man named Carl Webb. And he was an electrical engineer and instrument maker from Melbourne. And he was making... Um, instruments and <laughs> he lived in adelaide australia he was the dude that they found wearing a suit and in his pockets there was a pack of cigarettes a box of matches a train ticket and a small slip of paper with the persian phrase that translated to it is finished mm-hmm. which is unsettling to the nines
1: i know i still have so many questions like I there's there's so many things where i'm like well why did he have that fucking why did he have Tamam mom should in his pocket like What happened?
0: We have no idea. How did he
1: die? But the guy who discovered this is the guy that has been researching this case for decades. So, Mm -hmm. good for him. Well, super wild. Anyway.
0: I'm very excited to talk about Alex's home state. Yay. Colorado. Colorado. Rocky Mountain High.
1: (laughs) And if you say Colorado wrong... You get mugged, really? No, you don't get mugged.
0: Wait, what's the wrong way?
1: Colorado, even though like that's how you pronounce it in Spanish. It's really stupid. There's a lot of white people here.
0: They want it to be Colorado instead of Colorado.
1: It's it's Colorado.
0: They should say color (laughs) ado. Color ado, ado to you. Color ado, ado like
1: much ado. Well you'll actually find out why it's called Colorado.
0: Okay. <laughs> Should I read some of this background then? Uh yes. Alright, let's do it. So Colorado is a state in the mountain west subregion of the western United States. It encompasses most of the southern Rocky Mountains as well as the northeastern portion of the Colorado Plateau and the western edge of the Great Plains. The region has been inhabited by Native Americans for more than 13,000 years, with artifacts dating from approximately 9,200 to 1,000 BCE. The eastern edge of the Rocky Mountains was a major migration route for early peoples who spread throughout the Americas. The main Native tribes that were historically and presently in the state are the Puebloan, the Cheyenne, the Apache, the Arapaho, the Utes, and yeah. the Shoshone. Cool. Good work. (laughs) Thank you. I tried my best. (laughs) Less prominent tribes include the Navajo, the Mountain Ute, and the Kiowa. Colorado is the Spanish adjective meaning ruddy, the color of red sandstone. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets its name from. Yep. Good Rocks
1: a lot of good rocks. A
0: lot of good rocks. I must say. The territory of Colorado was officially made into a state on August 1st, 1876 so its anniversary is coming right up Mm -hmm. by U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant. And Colorado is nicknamed the Centennial State because it became a state one century after signing the U.S. Declaration of Independence. Yep. And Colorado also shares the same birthday
1: as Jerry Garcia. Hey! August
0: 1st. Putting the rad in Colorado, for (laughs) sure. So, Colorado is bordered by Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Utah. And it also does touch Arizona in the Four Corners area, but just like teeny corner, little teeny corner. Colorado is noted for its vivid landscape of mountains, forests, high plains, mesas, canyons, plateaus, rivers, and desert lands. Colorado is one of the mountain states and is part of the western and southwestern United States. Denver... Is the capital and most populous city in Colorado, and that's where Alex lives. That's
1: where I live. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay.
0: Colorado is comparatively a wealthy state, ranking eighth in household income in 2016. It also ranks highly in the nation's standard of living index. A lot of people like it there. It's also pretty expensive to rent there. Mm -hmm. Major parts of the economy include government and defense, Mining, agriculture, tourism, and increasingly other kinds of manufacturing.
1: Oil and gas is a big Oil one, too. I guess you could put that into mining.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And I'm also going to say music. The music industry is huge in Absolutely. Colorado, <laughs> with Red Rocks there and Mission Ballroom and Dick's It's amazing. And there's so much music that happens there all the time.
1: It's pretty much the reason I moved out here and still is. <laughs> Just come... Come visit.
0: I should now that I have no schedule. (gasps) Yes. But Chris still does. Yeah, that's true. He has
1: definitely a schedule.
0: (laughs) But I could come, maybe. Please.
1: Who knows? We could do a. (gasps) We could go to the Stanley Hotel.
0: We could do Girls Day. We could go Girls Girls (laughs) Weekend. Honestly, we could do Girls Life. (laughs) I was just about to say. Can we just
1: do Girls Life? Girls Life.
0: Anyway, here's a (laughs) tiny bit more history. So, with a strong history in the gold mining industry, including the mid-19th century gold rush and large swaths of empty and rural land, there is much room for this Western state to have its fair share of folklore. Add that with the Native American folklore that has been passed down in the state for thousands of years, and you can imagine that Colorado is incredibly rich in all types of legends and spooky stories. <laughs> and that's the history. Absolutely. Uh, now I'm going to drink this wine while you tell us your story, Alex. Okay. Cheers.
1: <laughs> Clink. Cheers, Clink. I am so excited to talk about this one because I have been there. Oh, is- she's been there. Oh, she's been there. I'm doing the Stanley Hotel, which is in Estes Park, Colorado. And I'll tell you guys all about where that is, what it's about, all the hauntings and all that good stuff. It's fantastic. Talk about my info here. I got it from amuse.vice.com, Colorado Encyclopedia, Amy's Crypt.com, and uncovercolorado.com. So, designed and funded by this man called Freeland Oscar Stanley, the Stanley Hotel opened in 1909 in Estes Park, Colorado. Some people say Estes, but that just reminds me of Testes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Testes Park! (laughs) I do like it.
0: (laughs) That's funny as fuck. Yeah.
1: So... The first class resort helped make Estes Park into a tourist destination, especially after the establishment of Rocky Mountain National Park in 1915, which is about five minutes away from the Stanley Hotel, the entrances. Cool. So, the valley that Estes Park is in is absolutely gorgeous. You drive up from this little town called Lyons, um, spelled with a Y which is a really small town in the foothills. And you drive through the trees while reaching a few high points. And you drop into this huge valley where there's this massive reservoir right in the middle of it. And it's surrounded by massive rock walls on all sides. It's cool. just incredible. The road actually takes you right over the center of the reservoir. So you have the, the reservoir on both sides of you when you're driving through the town. and basically. The town and unincorporated neighborhoods are scattered around the reservoir. And In the late 20th century, the hotel gained notoriety as the inspiration for Stephen King's horror novel, The Shining, da, da, da. <laughs> which is the film adaptation is literally my favorite movie ever. And of course, of course it is. So it's now part of the Grand Heritage Hotel group. They bought it in the 90s, I believe. And the hotel survived the September 2013 floods largely unscathed and continues to be a working hotel and tourist attraction, with even spirit tours for those who are interested in getting to know the ghosts of the hotel. One note about the flood in 2013, I was there.
0: Whoa, what? And it was
1: terrifying. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry. Excuse me. Please explain.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the flood of 2013, it was a, they called it a hundred year flood. I was going to CU Boulder at the time. So I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and that's about 45 minutes north of me where I live now. And... Basically, it was actually like a week before my birthday and and my boyfriend at the time was going to drive over to visit and see me. Everything pretty much got fucked because there was this massive rainstorm that didn't stop for three days. This area is not equipped for that amount of rain. It's just not. Like Portland, Oregon? Cool.
0: Yeah. Here? It can rain forever and nothing bad will happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, like... (laughs) And it does. Yeah, like a lot of Colorado is is a desert. Like you're in a high desert. It's called a rain shadow desert, where basically the mountains pretty much take up all the moisture and then by the time it gets over to us, to the front range and to the to the flatlands, the clouds basically dissipate and lose energy and it doesn't rain much. Except in the summertime, it can rain every day for five minutes right around three o'clock every single day. But that's normal. It rains for five minutes. And then, okay. so basically it rained for three days and everything got flooded. I remember I was, I didn't, I didn't bring a rain jacket to college and then I didn't have any rain boots. So I was just walking around town in my Chacos.
0: And getting wet. <laughs> and getting
1: very wet. And all I had was my bike, but there were buses running up until a certain point. And I remember getting on a bus to go see my friends that lived in another dorm about a mile away from my dorm, and the bus opened its doors, and it, like, pushed water away. Like, that's how flooded it was
0: oh. <laughs> in
1: Boulder. It was probably I can picture that. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Like, I, the water was probably up to my knees, and I'm, like,
0: 5'8". You are, yeah, pretty tall. So if it's yeah. your knees,
1: that's yeah. pretty
0: high. Pretty fucked up. So it
1: uh, destroyed a lot of buildings, a lot of businesses. It made a bunch of roads going up to Estes Park collapse, and there was oh, like oh. people stuck in cars and shit. Like it was fucking awful. Boulder, especially, it's it's a it's a floodplain. Like there's a there's a mm-hmm. creek going through Boulder called Boulder Creek, and there's bridges that go over in certain areas of the town, and the water was above all of the bridges, so it was just getting completely flooded. Yeah, it was scary. Or when the water receded, uh, there was pretty much like a foot thick slab of mud everywhere in downtown Boulder. And it was awful.
0: Wow. Yeah. So that's what happened. So was the hotel damaged at all by this?
1: It survived it like basically unscathed. So it probably had some okay. like, I don't know, maybe some slight water damage, but
0: minor repairs. And yeah. Stuff.
1: Like when gotcha. you when you go up to the hotel, it's kind of on a hill. So I don't think it got it as bad as other places. Okay. Anyway, I'm quoting the Amuse article directly here because it just explains the hotel really well. So it says, located on a hill just above Estes Park, the Stanleys' large white buildings, immaculately manicured lawn, and red roofs are a study in old world opulence. It's an impression of high society that only grows with its red carpeted interiors, dotted with heavy framed mirrors, portraits, and grand sweeping stairways. It's amazing.
0: So pretty. <laughs>
1: it is gorgeous. I have a bunch of photos that I took when I was there. I went there for my birthday last last September. Oh. I dragged Devin along and he basically just, he doesn't like any of this stuff. So he basically just waited outside and hung out <laughs> while I explored all of the halls. So the origins and the history of this hotel, I'm going to take a lot of this from the Colorado Encyclopedia because they did such a goddamn good job covering all of it and wording it correctly. So Freelan Oscar Stanley was born in Kingfield, Maine, and um, he had a wife named Flora Stanley, and they were w- a wealthy entrepreneurial couple. Stanley being the inventor of dry plate photography and also the Stanley steam engine. When Stanley was suddenly diagnosed with tuberculosis, his physician actually sent him to the dry climate of Colorado to try and combat the disease or to really slow it down and, you know, have like a something pretty to look at while you're dying. Basically, TB is pretty much a death sentence. <laughs> so the couple soon fell in love with the Colorado wilderness and Stanley defied all doctors expectations. So he started gaining weight and became healthy again very quickly. Um, they loved the area so much they decided to come back annually as a beautiful mountainous getaway. So Stanley decided in 1904 to build a Georgian revival house in the emerging town of Estes Park, where he would spend summers for the rest of his life. He wanted to build this house like it was from, you know, it had a very like, when I saw it, I was actually surprised because it has a very like almost southern colonial look to it. Mm -hmm. Rather than, you know, kind of the rustic woodsy houses that you see a lot of in Colorado. So by 1907, Stanley had started planning to build a grand hotel in Estes Park based on classic East Coast resorts such as the Breakers in Florida. The Mountain View House in New Hampshire and the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island in Michigan.
0: Mackinac is a good Mackinac. Word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Estes Park was not on a railroad line, however, so good roads would be important. So Stanley actually led efforts to improve the Vrain streets, making it possible for tourists to drive through Estes Park on a loop that started and ended in Lyons, Colorado. It's such a sweet town. I fucking love Lyons. It's like the perfect combination of like nice. mountain and desert. It's really beautiful. It has, like, these really cool, like, bright red mesas, but then five minutes up the road, you're, like, in an alpine environment. It's fucking rad. Um, That sounds gorgeous. Dude, Lions is amazing. (laughs)
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah,
1: I want to take you to these places.
0: I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Okay. Okay. So, in
1: October of the same year, hotel construction began on a rocky hillside facing south towards Longs Peak, which is a pretty prominent peak that you can see from the Front Range stanley probably designed much of the hotel himself though he did employ an architect the four-story building's symmetrical style and strong horizontal lines stood in stark contrast to both the rugged natural backdrop and the rustic designs in mountain hotels at the time stanley conceived of the hotel as a summer resort so the main building was planned without heat and was originally open only from june to september the rest of the hotel complex which was a casino building for entertainment and dancing, not gambling, though. <laughs> okay. A carriage house for the hotel's Stanley Steamers, which was automobiles, and several service buildings. And it was situated across the roughly 150 acre property. It's massive. The buildings were all painted a mustard yellow, reminiscent of East Coast resorts. Very, very classic kind of Victorian color. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time it was finished, the entire project cost Stanley at least $200,000, possibly as much as $500,000.
0: Sounds like no money. I know.
1: You can buy a fucking house with $500,000, barely. Barely. (laughs) Which in today's money is about 6 to 15 million doll hairs. Wow! Yeah.
0: Inflation is a fucking joke, man.
1: Fucking tell me about it.
0: I want to fight money.
1: I want to fight my capitalism.
0: Fits. Yes.
1: <laughs> While the hotel was under construction, Stanley invested heavily in the town's infrastructure. So not only was he working on those roads, but he also played an instrumental role in establishing the, sta- the town's first bank, its water company, and its hydroelectrical plant. Later, he helped start the town's sewer system and its public golf course. So this guy was was cool. He definitely Ah. put his money where his mouth was. And all of these endeavors would contribute indirectly to the success of Stanley's Hotel. And some, such as the Fall River Hydroelectric Plant, was originally built for the hotel, but actually expanded to serve the whole town.
0: Okay, cool. So good for business, good for the locals. Exactly. That's nice. So the hotel
1: called the Stanley only after locals petitioned the reluctant owner to name it after himself. So he didn't even want, like, the hotel named after him.
0: Oh, wholesome dude. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it opened officially in, on June 22nd, 1909. It featured 88 guest rooms in an, elect- an all-electric kitchen, which was a pretty big deal back then. And it was designed by Stanley and powered by his Fall River hydroelectric plant. So the first guests were members of the Colorado Pharmacal Association, who convened at the hotel for their 20th annual meeting. After the success of the hotel's first season, construction began on the manor house next to the main building, which is also just as gorgeous. It's basically a scaled-down version of the main building, and it was ready by that next summer. It has 33 rooms that were fully heated, unlike the main building, which allowed the hotel to operate Year-round, so not Mm -hmm. just in that really small window. In the 1910s, fleets of Stanley steamer automobiles whisked guests up to the hotel from railroad depots in Loveland, Longmont, and Lyons. The Stanley was a model mountain resort complete with a nine-hole golf course, tennis courts, lawn and indoor bowling, croquet, and billiards. It's had its, it had its own private water plant, laundry, and garage. On weekends, guests could enjoy a leisurely afternoon on the veranda, which is so beautiful, attend the Saturday evening dance at the casino, and catch the Sunday afternoon concert in the music room.
0: That sounds fun. I know.
1: Harry Houdini actually performed in the concert hall, and the trapdoor he used for his famous escape act still exists on stage. Wow. That's so cool Yeah It also has one of the state's largest whiskey bars
0: Oh I mean (laughs) Let's go I love whiskey
1: So despite its high prices Which was five to eight dollars a night at the time When other Estes Park hotels charged only one or two The Stanley generally spent more than it made Guess how much eight dollars was in today's money
0: I don't know How many
1: Two hundred and fifty dollars
0: Eight dollars became two hundred and fifty dollars Yep I'm ready to kill myself. I know. Like, I'm just I know. Done. I know I'm it just... makes me really depressed. <laughs> if I
1: could turn, turn back, back time. <laughs> the profits of the Stanley Motor Carriage Company covered the hotel's deficits, which was. Stanley's business at the time until Stanley sold the company in the late 1910s to a group of Milwaukee investors who refurbished the interior with, you know, new new paint, new carpet, new drapes. The group soon faced mounting debts, however, and in 1929 Stanley managed to actually reclaim the title to the hotel in a foreclosure sale. <laughs> so the hotel changed owners throughout the years and they saw dwindling numbers of guests as the prices were super high compared to other hotels in the area, Mm -hmm. which also resulted in the buildings becoming unkempt. So despite that, the Stanley was listed on the National Registrar of Historical Places in 1977. So it wasn't until the assistance of a man named Stephen King that catapulted the hotel into a whole other level entirely. So after a visit in 1974... The horror author used the property as inspiration for his book The Shining. Actually, the on-site pet cemetery mm. that's at Stanley is also the inspiration for Stephen King's pet cemetery.
0: Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love pet cemetery. Yeah, it's
1: great. So Stephen King actually stayed at the hotel and had some very interesting experiences. So I'm going to quote him directly here. He said, we were the only guests, as it turned out. The following day, they were going to close the place down for the winter. Wandering through its corridors, I thought that it seemed the perfect, maybe the archetypal setting for a ghost story. That (laughs) that night, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up to a tremendous jerk, sweating all over within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, sat in the chair, looking out the window at the Rockies, and by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of the book firmly set in my mind. Wow. Badass. And
0: I love him. Yeah, and what's funny
1: is that in the book, not in the movie, but in the book, so there's a hose that chases Danny. Oh. Yeah, so he translated that right into the book. Although individual employees are hesitant about making definitive statements on the subject, a lot of variations of we like guests to make up their own mind tend to be said about the hauntings in this hotel. But even with that, the Stanley is still considered to be one of the most haunted hotels in the country. I talked about my experience before on this podcast, but I'm going to talk about it again. Okay. So when I was there, I was walking through all the hallways. I was paying... A shit ton of attention to everything, you know, trying to record some stuff and nothing happened. And then I went down to the gift shop and I bought a pair of socks with the shining carpet design on them. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I heard someone say hi, say like, oh, hello in my ear. And I looked around and there was literally no one close to me. There wasn't any, it sounded like a man. And the only people around me were were women and they were probably about 10, 15 feet away from me. And I'm not sure if I heard it like in my mind or audibly, but it sounded like it felt like I was the only one who could hear it. Um, it's Creepy. It creeped me out. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I just looked around just being like, what the fuck just happened? And then no one else around me made any type of actions that made it seem like they heard something. So that Don't. is my experience there.
0: They knew you were looking and they said, oh, yeah. this bitch likes ghosts, let's <laughs> give her a little something for the road.
1: Maybe it was Stanley himself.
0: Oh, Stan the man.
1: I'll get into his ghost soon
0: here. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah.
1: On June 25th, 1911, a woman named Elizabeth Wilson, who was the head chambermaid at the two-year-old hotel, went into room 217 with a lit candle, only to tragically discover there was a leak in the hotel's gas lanterns.
0: Oh, that's not a good thing to bring a candle into. Yeah.
1: So the candle ignited the gas and there was a major explosion, destroying about one tenth of the hotel and putting Wilson in a coma. And when she fell, she broke both of her ankles, which would suck. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. And there's actually one story about a bathtub being seen shoot 40 feet in the air because of the explosion. Wow. Yeah. So, Wilson miraculously survived and continued working at the hotel until
0: 1950. Damn, bitch. I know. Wait, I would leave. <laughs> Me too. Instantly. That would be that. And I definitely wouldn't be carrying fire around <laughs> yeah. ever again.
1: Maid's gonna maid. So, according to some guests who have stayed in room 217, the maid is still working there in the afterlife. Guests have said, that they've woken up with their room straightened up and their suitcases neatly organized. Wow. That's awesome.
0: Okay. That sounds great to me. Yep.
1: As for the pet cemetery, guests have reported seeing the ghosts of some of the animals buried there wandering the property. Among them are a golden retriever named Cassie and a white cat named Comanche, and they have been spotted all throughout the grounds, including in the hallways and guest rooms. So there's just a bunch of ghost pets walking around.
0: Pet cemetery, makes yeah.
1: sense? Okay. So when Stanley Kubrick, who is a very famous director, one of my favorite directors, came out with the film Adaptation of The Shining in 1980, Stephen King actually wasn't a big fan of how many changes Kubrick made to the story. Yeah, and I didn't know that. So it is extremely different from the book. But, you know, both sides of the stories are just chef's kiss and the author set out to help actually make a more accurate version of his story for a television miniseries in 1997 the miniseries is cheesy but way more in line with the book and is also completely shot at the stanley hotel which is pretty cool. cool yeah so kubrick's overlook hotel was created almost entirely on a soundstage in london and it had exterior shots actually done at the Timberline Lodge on Mount Hood in Oregon.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right.
1: So there have been many stories of sightings of Stanley himself, usually at the whiskey bar, as well as his wife playing piano on the fourth floor. So that's trippy. It's awesome. <laughs> so employees and guests both have reported hearing piano music coming from the fourth floor and seeing the keys moving by themselves. So there are also claims that people have felt a weight of someone sitting down at the end of their bed. And when they look up, no one is there. In room 407, there's supposedly a man called Lore Dunraven who haunts the room, which is such a sick name.
0: That is pretty sick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he owned the land actually prior to Stanley. So some have reported seeing his face in the window even when the room isn't booked. So from outside, room 418 is haunted by children whose laughter can be heard in the hallways by guests and cleaning crew. The ghost of a small boy is said to appear outside of room 217 where author Stephen King stayed.
0: And isn't that the same one that yep. the maid was in?
1: one that exploded. And he reportedly saw the child who was calling out for his nanny. And actually, Jim Carrey, who was filming Dumb and Dumber at the time, was staying in that room. And he left in the middle of the night because he couldn't stand it. Brave guests on the hotel tour can stand in the closet in one of the haunted rooms where voices are said to be the loudest. Mm-hmm. I'd be so down for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can.
1: <laughs> so another hot spot for activity is actually underneath the hotel. There is a tunnel system underneath this uh, hotel.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, did not yeah. know of this.
1: It was used by staff to navigate the hotel. A lot of these old, really, really nice resort hotels, the hotel didn't want all of the people working there to be around the area, like <laughs> doing their jobs. So they would use these tunnels. They would create these tunnels yeah. for these people. And it's thought that some of the former employees actually continue to hang out there, including that of a former chef. He is thought responsible for the smell of home-baked goods wafting through the tunnel. And it's funny because there is a chef in The Shining, and Mm -hmm. he ends up being the one that kind of talks to Danny about his special, his shine.
0: Yeah, I remember this. Yeah.
1: So this tunnel is also rumored to be the hangout spot for a deceased cat. Many have encountered this gray ghostly feline, which has bright green glowing eyes. The Stanley Hotel also contains an extremely haunted mirror, and it's stored in the basement of the concert hall. So it's quite an old antique piece being older than the Stanley Hotel itself, and no one really knows how it got there.
0: (laughs) Oh. Yeah. That's unsettling.
1: Yeah. So it's thought that this mirror contains some sort of energy trapped within it. Many guests over the years have captured figures and apparitions standing next to them when taking photos Of their reflection in the mirror. Yeah. So then there's the big staircase. The staircase between floors in the hotel's lobby has been dubbed the Vortex. Fuck. Okay. (laughs) And I have been on that staircase. Does it feel weird? It's weird. It's beautiful. I have a photo of it. It's probably my favorite part of the hotel, to be honest. It is a quote tornado of spiritual energy sort of a paranormal portal for all the ghosts that visit the hotel guests report cold spots and feeling dizzy on the stairs as though something has just walked right through them orbs and distortions have been caught on camera mr and mrs stanley have even been seen hand in hand watching over the hustle and bustle from the grand staircase I actually took a photo of this staircase and I'll, I'll post all my photos that I took on Instagram. The way that I found this staircase was very weird. So so I went into the, the first floor where the lobby is and I saw the staircase and I was like, oh, that's cool. But I didn't realize it was like the staircase. There's only certain areas that you can go to in the hotel without taking a tour. And I was just like walking around the outside grounds. And then I found a door that was open just randomly. So I was like, I'm going to go in here. I kind of got lost. I went down this like random hallway that had a door at the end of it, like a glass door. And I opened it, it was unlocked and I went through and there was like a glass door on that side and then another glass door on the other side. And I was like, oh fuck. So I tried going out the original glass door that I went through and it was locked. (laughs) So I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? I ended up Going through the other glass door, even though I didn't think I was supposed to, and that was unlocked. So I was like, okay, cool. And then it got me to the top of the grand staircase.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. And I was like, I was like, how the fuck did I get here? And just took a shit ton of photos because it was beautiful. It has like these really, really cool, you know, paintings and portraits, and all of the frames are like really, really beautiful and intricate filigree. Victorian. It was just so beautiful. (laughs) So, in room 428, some have seen the vision of a cowboy looming over the bed as they slept or standing in the corner of the room. There aren't any rooms above this room, yet, over the years, there have been multiple reports of strange sounds like furniture being moved and footsteps emanating from the ceiling. So, room 217 is now the most requested room at the hotel. The Shining, that, yeah, the Shining movie plays on a continuous loop on one channel of the hotel's televisions. In, that's great. In 2013, the hotel began to host an annual horror film festival. And in 2015, it built a hedge maze on the front lawn based on a similar maze in the film. This article said that it was huge, but it's not. It's really not that big. It's not very big. And when I was there last September, all the hedges were like half dead. And I think they were just doing some construction with it or whatever, but it was still cool. I got you. So next to the Steamer's Cafe on the basement level, which is actually right by the maze, there's a poster with helpful tips for determining if your phone actually snapped a picture of a ghost or an orb. And then there are multiple daily spirit tours. The hotel website offers special bookings for all of these rooms that I just mentioned. And room Mm -hmm. 217, the number plate for it probably gets stolen about once a week.
0: Oh, (laughs) that makes sense.
1: (laughs) And they even have an on-site psychic named Madame Vera who's available for consultations.
0: That would be really cool. I know.
1: So one theory that I did read about why it's so haunted is that The Stanley Hotel rests on a bed of quartz and limestone, which many believe to be responsible for helping spirits' energy remain strong within the building. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a lot of running water in the area, which has been said to also be a really... It's like water is a conductor of electricity. Ghosts are basically seen as like electrical beings of energy. So... If you're around a body of water, usually you would get more paranormal activity there. Yeah, so there's a couple reasons. but And then in early 2015, owners secured a $46 million loan to help pay for massive renovations to the hotel. I think all of them are done at this point, and I mean, it's it's beautiful. I love it so much, and I could live there forever and be content. But I'm also a sucker for old buildings. That is the Stanley Hotel.
0: Fucked. Yeah, dude. I want to go there with you. Oh yes, we will. We
1: will. Do you want to talk about some aliens? I want to talk about some aliens. I got some aliens
0: for got you. Some aliens. I'm Let's, excited uh, to, to uh, hear. talk about some Coloradian air, <laughs> Coloradian <laughs> UFOs. I'm so the... excited. <laughs> okay, so there's this place called Colorado's UFO Watchtower, <laughs> and that's what I'm going to be covering today. And I really love the woman that runs it. I've so never heard of this. Yeah, I kind of had to dig pretty deep to find it because we had done the rock slider guy already. And that's like one of Colorado's biggest cryptids. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: In a uh,
0: mini-sode, right? We did, Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so I googled Colorado aliens and this came up. I love it, Colorado aliens. yeah. I got a ton of info from a gorgeous article by Joe Rogers, and his article is called "It Started as a Joke, but Colorado's UFO Watchtower is Now a Hot Spot for Mysterious Sightings." <laughs> <laughs> I love it, which is great. So, the San Luis Valley, known as the Bermuda Triangle of the West, has been a hot spot for out-of-this-world activity for centuries. What? Yep. What the fuck? Do you know where the San Luis Valley is? Um.
1: Yes, I actually looked up where this place is, and it's um, pretty much if you do like a line going straight south from Denver, it's fairly close to the border of New Mexico and Colorado. It's like yep. central South Colorado.
0: Exactly. So, what's a weird place? All right, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna dive right into this, please. So. Judy Messaline's UFO watchtower is located two miles north of Hooper, Colorado. If it weren't for the, quote, ride the cosmic highway signs <laughs> or green aliens along Highway 17 pointing the way, her quirky roadside attraction resembling a spaceship would probably just be lost to the vastness of the San Luis Valley altogether. It's fucking amazing. I already know. But according to the owner, the place is always fucking busy. There's
1: a place like that um, right outside of Moab. Oh, is there? Yeah. It has, like, all this alien shit and everything. It's,
0: Man, it's great. I love it. someday we need to rent, like, a camper van and just go alien spot hopping <laughs> and just do a tour of all the alien spots all the of aliens. the Southwest. And then we'll, all the aliens. we'll end at
1: Skinwalker Ranch.
0: Um, we'll... Definitely go there, but we're gonna end at Mothman. (laughs) Oh, duh! You kidding? Yeah.
1: (laughs) And that ass.
0: And that fat ass. (laughs) (laughs) So Judy messeline the owner, mentioned to a reporter, "Quote: We were closed for four months because of the coronavirus." She has a soft voice, and small wrinkles appear around her eyes as she squints in the sun. Her gold sparkle nail polish glistens, and she wears multicolored alien head socks. But now that we're open, she continues, it's been kind of a zoo. Lots of people. Oh my god, I love her already. I do too. (laughs) I included a picture of her that we can put on our Instagram. Yes. As you can see. (gasps) Oh, she's adorable! She's very cute. I want a t-shirt! Right? Me too. So... Some call San Luis Valley the Bermuda Triangle of the West. It's been a hot spot for mysterious sightings dating back to the Spanish conquistadors of the 1560s. And now, Messaline's place lies almost smack dab in the middle of it. For her, however, this all started off as a big joke. <laughs> Judy came to the San Luis Valley to raise cattle in 1995. She said, When I met the locals, they were all telling me UFO stories and I'd just giggle saying we needed a watchtower to watch the UFOs from. What? Well, I struggled with cows for four and a half years because they don't eat sand very well, and we (laughs) had to sell the herd. (laughs) She's just great. Fair. She's just great. (laughs) Then one day, I ran into one of the farmers here at a gas station, and he said I should build that watchtower I always laughed about. So, I did. Initially, it was just going to be a little little old mom-and-pop business to catch some tourist traffic. Well, we had other tourist traffic come around, too. Since opening in May 2000... Two hundred and thirty-one quote tourists from outer space have allegedly visited the area. <laughs> Judy claims to have seen twenty-eight of them herself. Watch, dude, yeah, and I love it too because she was like a raging skeptic before this. That's so, so it's like
1: awesome.
0: It's just good. It's just great. It's just good. I love not think about it's it. Just <laughs> it's just good. It's just good. So she says the closest one was between. Her watchtower and the mountains. it was a narrow UFO and really long, and it zipped across the sky. There's
1: UFOs that look like cigars. yes,
0: yes. It, must it, must those. Those. it must have been one of those <laughs> So that happened at eleven o'clock at night, and she said there was over a dozen people there that all saw it. She also said to the reporter who was interviewing her, we had two last night, too. They come with <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. I know I do, too. I want her to be my, like, weird alien you- grandma. <laughs> <laughs> So, at the UFO Watchtower, you'll find kids posing for pictures with alien figures in what Judy calls her healing garden. (sighs) In the garden, numerous psychics have reaffirmed the existence of two large beings protecting two spinning vortexes. Those beings are, quote, here to protect the vortexes, but also here to help people in times of need. As a result, Messaline requests that people leave something behind to receive good energy. (laughs) All sorts of items, from photos to business cards to pens, keys, toys, and even personal items of lost loved ones fill the garden. Oh, that's so sweet. I know, I love that. In the Watchtower gift shop are newspaper clippings, shot glasses, photos taken of objects nearby, and even Messland's own book called The Crazy Lady Down the Road. (laughs) Yeah, that's the name of her book, which I love. (laughs) So, near the register are two binders full of sightings, written accounts of dancing lights, disc-shaped crafts, and even a few detailed drawings, each witnessed here on the property. Over the years, Judy has had a few psychics visit the site. According to Judy, the psychics would each stand in the same spot in the shop and ask, why did you put this here? (laughs) She says, I told them it just felt right. Well, then they would say, you know that there's a crashed ship under here. I just thought, yeah, right, but when you hear it over and over from all sorts of different people, you start thinking it might be true. What? Yeah, so all these psychics have said that, like, the place that she keeps her, her binders are exactly where there's a ship, an alien ship underneath the ground. What the fuck? Trippy, trippy. What? Inside another of Judy's binders are detailed drawings that the psychic made for her that day, each depicting a large disc-shaped object with a dome in the center. One day, a group from the Navy came to the UFO watchtower, she says. My son said not to tell them about the crash ship no matter what. Well, I did. And you know what? They didn't seem surprised. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about the history of the San Luis Valley and... It has a long history of paranormal activity. Awesome. So here's one of the earliest paranormal instances. On September 7th, 1967, near the town of Alamosa in the San Luis Valley, Snippy, a three year old horse, (laughs) failed to return to the Harry King ranch where she was stabled. Two days later, Mr. King, the ranch owner, discovered Snippy's remains roughly a quarter mile from the ranch house. (laughs) According to his account, the neck and head of the horse had been completely stripped of flesh, leaving nothing but bare, seemingly sun bleached white bone. While the remainder of the mare's body remained unscathed. Oh my god, that
1: screams cow mutilation!
0: It like totally that does. is
1: what they do.
0: That's exactly it. <gasps> it's like gross animal mutilation.
1: That's so scary imagine that
0: yeah and there were some gruesome pictures so be careful what you google if you google this because i accidentally saw some things that i wish i could control z out of my brain My
1: morbid curiosity is going
0: insane yeah it was a little much for me personally
1: i don't blame you i'm a sociopath
0: (laughs) a little but a cute one A little.
1: (laughs) In a cute, like, I don't mind blood type of way. Not like. Yes, not in a, like, I'm going to murder you in
0: your sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so, carrying on, Mr. King returned the next day, accompanied by the horse's owners, determined to unravel the mystery surrounding Snippy's untimely death, but when they got closer to the body, there were more questions than answers. There was no blood found on or around the body, and the flesh appeared to have been re- removed very neatly and with precision. Oh my god. Yup. There were a number of darkened patches said by the witnesses to look like scorch or exhaust marks found all on the ground surrounding the carcass. (gasps) Fuck off. (sighs) Yup. And then roughly a hundred yards away, they also discovered a shrub that was squashed nearly flat. And nearby was a series of six small round indentations in the ground arranged in a perfect circle. No. Aliens. Aliens. No, there's no other explanation but aliens. How I'm the sorry. Fuck. How the fuck? How the fuck? <laughs> aliens. The fuck. That's how. It's it's aliens. It's aliens. <laughs> Snippy is the first animal mutilation that was discovered in the valley. There were several others, um, but this was the first one. And there were a myriad of claims and stories surrounding the horse's death. And with the history of crazy things in the sky and the valley, it's believed that Snippy's untimely demise was an otherworldly event. There were some other interesting elements to the initial reports of Snippy's death as well. At one point, the exposed bones allegedly appeared to turn bright pink. What? Also, one person reported that her palm became incredibly itchy after handling some of Snippy's fur. What? There were even accounts of a sickly, sweet smell that's, that hung in the air around the body. And one thing all these claims have in common is that they're all transitory events, and there's no way to, weather, to investigate whether or not they're real or their cause. But still, it's interesting details. What the fuck? And due to these unusual circumstances and the rumors of unexplained lights in the sky in the region, although there weren't any sightings specifically that correlated with that date and time... Um, but the amateur sleuths in the area concluded that Snippy's death could only be attributed to aliens. And I agree. It <laughs> makes sense I do. to me. <laughs> I mean, this is an incredibly elaborate hoax. Yeah, I if, mean, like, it's a hoax.
1: What else could it be if it wasn't aliens? It could be a hoax. Yeah. But.
0: We're going to talk about some of that. What the fuck else? Yeah.
1: A predator's not going to do that.
0: Right. It's not going to be like a coyote because the no. the meat was removed from its neck so cleanly. like, And there wasn't blood. So all the blood was drained out of it. Like,
1: And they're not going to go for just the face.
0: No. They're going to eat the whole horse. So it doesn't make sense to me. What the fuck? So this story was the inspiration for Linda Mouton Howe's book, An Alien Harvest. Howe's book contained a detailed account of the Snippy incident, complete with numerous interviews and even photographs. Oddly, in her book, Howe reveals that Snippy was actually the mother and that the deceased horse was, in fact, named Lady, hmm. which is an interesting detail. In other accounts, it's claimed that Snippy was a nickname given to Lady by journalists, inspired by the gruesome condition in which she was found. Ooh. Um, But it's a strange conflation of identities that occurred in, a, like, some unclear way. Um, but the horse is called Snippy in pretty much every instance that you can find online and that lasts today.
1: What we do so. know is that a horse was mutilated. <laughs> yes.
0: So by the time Hal was compiling her book over a decade after the horse had died, the author was able to interview a whole bunch of ranchers who subscribed to the alien dissection hypothesis of dead farm animals. The fact that Howe was a respected journalist and at one point served as the director of special projects at Denver's CBS affiliate definitely helped to boost her credibility, too. Credible source or not, the underlying problem with the conclusions made was that they were supported by vague circumstantial evidence at best. For example, there was a large number of assumptions made by the witnesses involved in Snippy's discovery. Some discolorations near the body were reputed to be exhaust marks, but their origin was never confirmed, and there was nothing attesting to their being the result of heat or flame. They were never, like, testing the soil to see what it actually was or any of that. It was that. just
1: observational evidence.
0: Yes. And then the indentations found nearby were alleged to be imprints from the landing gear of a spaceship, but not only was there no clear evidence of the craft there's also not any evidence that the mark were related to the horse or its premature passing fair enough i guess yeah there were some vague and non-specific reports of quote elevated radiation levels in the area um but others found no evidence to support those claims later on so maybe it didn't last very long that's like that's the know.
1: hard thing with these types of instances is that people think that you're crazy when you talk about it so they're not going to put in the scientific research yes. that is needed to actually prove if it's a thing or not so it just it right. just goes unknown when there could actually be answers but people just don't people just think that you're crazy so no one fucking does anything about it, it
0: pisses me off right. truth is out there <laughs> Yes, and also it was like 1967, so I'm sure their level of testing that they had then was nothing close to what. That's
1: very as true. Well. I didn't think about that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, because of the whole Snippy incident, <laughs> it resulted in a great deal of notoriety for the, you know, the region for the right. nearby town of Alamosa and for the the valley in general. Mm-hmm. As to some of the other oddities surrounding the case, opinions were varied speculation about the cleanliness of the neck wound ranged from the horse getting tangled in barbed wire fence maybe or someone discovering the suffering animal and cutting its throat in an act of mercy but then why would it remove all the flesh i don't get that and why would there be no blood right and the bones being picked clean could be attributed to scavengers or ants i don't know people have all sorts of theories but i still don't understand why ants would pick those parts of the body clean and not do the rest of the body. Though the specific story is mostly forgotten, the circumstances surrounding Snippy's death remain open for debate in a lot of circles, and her legacy, however, endures despite her obscurity. In 20 years, the watchtower, the UFO watchtower, has attracted more than 30,000 human visitors. <laughs> Most are curious passersby, some have claimed to be actual beings from Pluto and Sirius, <laughs> which I love. And one was a high-ranking government official who, according to Judy Messeline, pulled out his cell phone and showed her a picture of a being coming out of the ocean. What the fuck? I tried to look for more info on that and I couldn't find much. God but damn that it. That sounds so trippy. That is so frustrating because I want to know. I want to have her job. What the fuck that <laughs> was. So, no matter who visits, this one-time skeptical rancher has created a safe place for people to share their experiences. She's heard too many stories to brush things aside. She says, people don't get made fun of here. Folks will walk up, and I'll ask if they've seen anything. A lot of them just hang their heads, so I'll let it go. But, after they've been around a bit, they'll open up and tell me about what they've seen. Not all those people are crazy. And so that's the wild story of the Colorado Watchtower (laughs) and the alien weird shit that goes on there.
1: That is amazing.
0: I know it was a little bit of a shorter story, but
1: I hope you liked it. fucking great. If it wasn't so far away and out of the way, I would want to go. It's literally like it's one of those places in the state where if you if you're not trying to go there, you're not going to go. Right. Like, it's not on the way. I mean, I guess it is on the way to Santa Fe.
0: Yeah, we could go but to Santa Fe or it. Albuquerque, but that's about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's wild.
0: Yeah. So there you have it. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it so much.
1: There's a, that place outside of Moab. They have, like, billboards up for this thing that they saw called Alien Jerky.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I passed that. Yeah. I yeah. know about Alien It's on jerky. 70. I-70 cool Ooh, we could go to the great sand dunes national park
1: oh that's yeah that's right down there yep that'd
0: be kind of cool yeah
1: durango is like right down there too
0: there's also a gator and reptile park <laughs> what which sounds like the worst place to put alligators like that don't they need a lot of water why would they be in the desert that doesn't
1: make that's sense. true well that was super cool and i didn't know anything about that
0: now you know and
1: it's only four hours away
0: Well, thank you for listening to Le Creptin' Queens. We are so grateful for you. And I hope that you have a week that is not too spooky, but just spooky enough. And keep your eyes peeled,
1: Queens, continuously for UFOs, for aliens, for ghosties, for monsters, for cryptids. Yep.
0: (laughs) And tell us if you see any of them.
1: Please tell us first. Can we say
0: hi? (laughs) (laughs) And then call us immediately.
1: And um, yeah, if you guys want to check us out on Instagram, we're Cryptid Queens Podcast. We also Uh, have an email. We have an email if you guys want to tell us anything questions, comments, concerns, praise, because my ego needs that right now. Me too. Uh, send us an email at cryptidqueenspodcast at gmail dot com. Yep. And um yeah, if you guys have any recommendations, let us know and in the
0: meantime, you know, keep your eyes peeled. We love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>